Welcome, everyone, to the Force of Nature podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host, David Botcher. Terrific. This week, we have another famous shark story. And this time, we are covering the story of the USS Indianapolis. This story is known as the worst shark attack in history. It's a really cool story, too, so I look forward to telling you. Uh, Also, we are going to go over the 2018 Shark Attack Report. Nice. Uh, Dave, I know you love shark attack stories Mm. so much. Yes, I love them so much. Just ask Cheetor over there. (laughs) Oh, I will in a minute. But uh, this is a World War II story, so you're going to like that part of it. Okay. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode on the bull shark and the 1916 Jersey Shore attacks. Uh, Dave, what was one thing you learned from last week? That uh, everyone that has double syllables was attacked. <laughs> and definitely don't be named Charles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do not go in the ocean if you are a Charles. <laughs> you are likely to be attacked. Uh, but yeah, go back in. Check out that episode if you haven't yet. As always, we are joined in the studio by Colonel Cheetor. Dave, you pussy. Shut up! <laughs> Jeez. And he is uh, he's on fire lately with oh, uh, knocking you, Dave. Throw him in the, in the lake, we'll have him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to us. We've been doing well in our downloads lately. Actually, we are almost to 10,000 downloads. Oh! I, I wouldn't doubt that we get it by the end of the month, actually. Nice. So, and that's right when our uh, our uh, year one year anniversary is. So, one, one year, 10,000 hits. I think that's all right. That's pretty... I don't know if that's good or not, but hey, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, if you enjoy the show, something you can do to contribute is... Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Just go ahead and say something you like about the show. Uh, I know I say it every week, but the ratings and reviews really help our podcast gain more attention and gain more listeners. And they mean more than you can more than you think. So please take the time and do that for us. But Dave, what do you say we just get going? Let's do it. So first, before we get into the story, let's go over the shark attack report. Let's go into, this is um, some statistics from 2018. And all this information comes from the ISAF, the International Shark Attack File. And I'm not going to go over all about the ISAF and their statistics because we've actually already done that. Back in episode five, we went over all of that stuff. Yeah. And we also covered the two, uh, 2017 shark attack report. So if you want to like learn more, like what kinds of shark attacks there are, um, provoked, unprovoked, stuff like that, uh, go and check that episode out because we say it all there. So this is just going to be kind of a just a 2018 shark attack report. Okay. So last year in 2018, there were... 66 confirmed unprovoked shark attacks on humans around the globe, Hmm. which is down from 88 in 2017. Oh, okay. Interesting. And it's down 26%. uh, It's 26% lower than the most recent five-year average. The five-year average is 84 attacks a year. So the attacks have dropped uh, a lot last year. Uh, and I don't. There's no real reason why we don't think. Economy's you know, doing well. Less lone sharks out there. You <laughs> less know. lone sharks out there. 
All the sharks are happier now. <laughs> so of these 66 confirmed unprovoked attacks, there were four deaths. Hmm. Uh, the deaths are the deaths are actually in line with the annual uh, global average. The average oh. is like six de- six deaths a year from sharks. So four. All right, they're meeting their quota there. <laughs> they're they're yeah they met their quota there. <laughs> it was close enough. So where the attacks happened. Um, you want you want to know where they happened? Yeah. Well, thirty-two of the sixty-six are in the U.S. Oh my goodness, we get half. Yeah, we get basically uh. half. And then there was twenty in Australia, three in Brazil, three in Egypt, two in South Africa, and then several places had one, like the Bahamas, Costa Rica. Galapagos Islands, uh, New Caledonia, and New Zealand, and there was also one in Thailand as well. Huh. Isn't and, that crazy? Have you seen uh, videos of of uh, the Chinese beaches? Yeah. Well, There's I remember from uh, in there. I remember from Megalodon. Like sardines. Yeah. Remember, yeah. And you think there would be an attack there? No, there wasn't even one there. You're right. I remember. Remember the movie The Meg. And yeah. they're on a Chinese beach right there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, where I, that's what I picture when I think nice. of a Chinese beach. You're right. But I guess they don't have the num- shark numbers there. I don't know. That's crazy. So the four deaths uh, that were recorded, we had one in the U.S., one in Australia, one in Brazil, and one in Egypt. Mm. And I specifically remember covering the one in Egypt. We did that in one of our recent attack episodes. I can't remember which oh, one, but it was yeah, it was um, it was like episode nineteen, I want to say huh. something like that. I could be wrong, but which, yeah, we we have covered it before. Which sea was it? Uh, it was Mediterranean. Was it? I what believe kind of so. Shark was it again? Tiger? I don't I don't think we knew found out which kind of was. That was a uh, unconfirmed. Huh. But uh, I think it was believed to be a bull. Oh. You know, it might not be the Mediterranean. What's the? I can't it's remember the this. Red Sea. Yeah, it might be there. Huh. I mean, if it's there, I know bull sharks live there, so that okay. might be where it was. I can't remember exactly the details, hmm. but well, as we've learned with a lot of shark attacks, they're not re- um, recorded what the species are. It's hard to sometimes it's hard to tell. Yeah, but only four deaths. Uh, all that, and that's not that many if you think about it. You know, yeah, like sharks really do get a bad reputation. They only kill four to six people a year. I mean, crocodiles will kill four to six people in a day. Yeah, that's true, huh? Yeah, we've covered crocs and gator. Well, mostly crocodiles. They kill a lot more people. Yeah. Lots and lots more people. They've got like hundreds a year, if not thousand, a thousand. Yeah, but I'm not really scared of them because they're, they're mean, not here. That's true. <laughs> well, we don't have sharks shark here either. Here. But you go, we go to California a lot, yeah. and then there's they're there. But yeah. All right, so let's go into the U.S. and the states that have the most attacks. Dave, what state do you think has the most? Well, I can tell you, Utah has the least, I think. It's, t- it's probably tied <laughs> for tied, the last place. Tied you know. with 30 others. <laughs> tied with, we're tied with Montana and maybe <laughs> yeah. Kansas. Yeah. I would say California. No. You don't think so? I know so because I have the stats oh. right here. Oh, well, I would say <laughs> California just because the great whites are always there and you hear those. There is okay. It's Florida, then. Yeah, it's obviously okay. Florida. Florida has the most with 16 attacks, um, and 16 is 50% of the attacks in the U.S., which is on oh, on wow. par, actually. Gee. And this was 
but this is still lower than their normal average. The their five year average is thirty attacks in Florida. Wow. A year. Wow, and that's the bull shark territory. Yeah, yeah. Which we covered last week. Yes, we did. Ding. Um, other states with attacks are Hawaii with three, hmm. North Carolina with three, South Carolina with three, Massachusetts and New York with two. Cal, um, and then a couple places have one, like California, Georgia, and Texas. They oh, have okay. Ones. California doesn't is not high on attacks. Crazy. Hmm. Well, at least they, well, I, for a second unless, I thought they were unless you're there, Georgia. then yeah. maybe the, the stats might uh, go up. We'll find out in uh, what is it, the middle of uh, July when we go there. I'm not going out past you. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll just throw you out there. <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky you have a one syllable name. <laughs> Uh, uh, the one death that occurred in the U.S. happened in Massachusetts. Mm. I'm pretty sure, and I, I know we covered that story as well. I can't remember when, but uh, this was the first fatality in the United States since 2015. Wow. Nobody died in 2016 or 17, I guess. Huh. And the first fatal incident in Massachusetts since 1936. And this huh. this was from a great white. They do oh, know that. Okay. So what were people doing when they were attacked? We have the stats too. Hmm. So 53% was people surfing or doing board sports. That's partially due because they go out further. Yeah. And then 30% were swimming or wading in the water. 6% were snorkeling or free diving. 5% were scuba diving. 3% were body surfing, and another 3% was other. <laughs> so other shallow water activities. They, they don't want to disclose <laughs> what they, they don't want to disclose that information. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good, Mom. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty on par with, I remember when we did the 2017, the stats were pretty similar. Okay. Uh, and mm. I have a... I'm going to read a quote from a Gavin Naylor. He's the director of the Florida Museum of Natural History's Shark, Shark Research Program. Hmm. That's a long title. Yeah. Okay, so he says, statistically, this is an anomaly. It begs the question of whether we're seeing fewer bites because there are fewer sharks. That would be the glass half empty interpretation. Or it could be that the general public is heeding the advice of beach safety officials. My hope is that the lower numbers are a consequence of people becoming more aware and accepting of the fact that they're sharing the oceans with these animals. Mm, okay. Yeah. So hopefully it's not because there are fewer sharks. We don't. We don't want there to be fewer. I mean, yeah. you might, but <laughs> but we in reality we don't. Sharks play an important role. And unfortunately, I could not find what shark species were responsible for the most attacks in 2018. I couldn't find that information huh. on their website. So we just don't know that. And I'm sure uh, a lot of attacks, the shark does. Yeah. Like I said, we've said before, the shark attack, a lot of them don't get identified properly. So we don't know. But um, I imagine most of them are from a great whites. As they normally are, but then you, but then you mix in all the other shark species that, and a lot of times with these bites, it's not like they're. This could just be somebody 
accidentally scrapes against a shark's tooth and then they report it, that could count as one of as an attack. Okay. It's not like everybody's losing limbs out there from these unprovoked attacks. There wasn't 66 lost limbs, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's a little murky there, but that they just, uh, no pun intended. Nah. The ISF does a good job with trying to keep up with everything. It's still probably it's probably really difficult to do. Yeah. But Dave, that is our 2018 shark attack report. Does this make you feel any better about going in the water? Well, it should, but no, it's I'm still, I don't know. Must be a mental issue. Mental issue? It's called pussitis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Look at it, he's Jeez. interrupting us in the middle of the show now. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, Cheetor. I like, I'm, I'm liking him a lot better now. <laughs> you don't have to live with him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he's stuck in your basement. All right, so... Let's move on. Let's go to our story this week. This is the famous story from World War II. Uh, Dave, that means uh, we need to do some some time traveling. Okay. In our time machine. Sometime. Somewhere. And we are going back to 1945. But before I get going, this story is a little different in that the story extends beyond the sharks. This is going to... This is kind of going to be a historical story. I mean, sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, we're both big into history, and the the sharks are kind of they're they're just going to play characters in this story. Does that make sense? You're going to name them? <laughs> I'm not going to name them. Name them two syllables. So. Two syllables. <laughs> no, we're not going to name the sharks, but uh, think of it as the sharks being characters because we're. I really want to do this story justice, so we will definitely talk about the sharks and the shark attacks, but there is much more to this story, so I want to make sure we get everything, and so it's going to be a little light on attacks, but the story's really good, so, and this is the story of the USS Indianapolis, it is also dubbed as the largest shark attack in history, Mm. and like I said, yeah, Dave, you and I are big history guys, World War II buffs, and I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard, at least heard of this story before. Uh, It's really a story of survival, fighting for survival uh, for the sailors. But let's get into it. We're going to start. And the USS Indianapolis was a Portland-class heavy cruiser of the U.S. Navy and named after the city of Indianapolis, Indiana. Nice. She was first launched in 1931. And I'm going to refer to the Indianapolis as she because that's that's yeah. what the sailors did, and that's all. Boats are just named after women, I guess. So, yeah. so they call them they call them she. You know something interesting uh, that I found out is that the cruisers were named after cities, and the uh, destroyers, or uh, what do you call? Uh, well, I guess that's partly destroyer. Yeah, destroyer. A battleship, or they're named after states. Oh yeah, yeah. No, oh, that's interesting. They kind of cla- their class brings it down. To what it's named after. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I didn't know that. That's States a... are the big ones and cities are the smaller. Oh, well, I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, that's a good fact to know. Yeah. But uh, so she was used as kind of a scouting ship before the war. But uh, during the war, during actually during the Pearl Harbor attack, she was doing training at the jo- Johnston or Johaston atoll which isn't too far away from hawaii after the attack she was used to search for the japanese carriers that were responsible for the attacks Mm. but they were never found oh 
And I'm going to go, I'm going, I'm not going to go over everything that she was used for during the war. Cause like each year she was, she was doing different, the, the ship was doing different things and in different places. Yeah. So we're going to skip ahead to 1945. Okay. I guess just as, as a note, if it lasted till 45, that's impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. <laughs> they, they lost hundreds. In fact, there was, yeah, there was at one point in the war, there was only one aircraft carrier left really? that the United States had. They had to make more. Yeah, wow. it was, it, yeah, we didn't do too well the first couple of years. Yeah, it you're was right. rough. Yeah, hundreds of, hundreds of ships were sank. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I forgot to uh, mention that, yeah, well, she is a badass warship. As nice. you were saying, she was really fast with speeds that she could get up to 32 knots or 37 miles per hour, which is fast for a cruiser. Yeah. She was also fitted with a nine, eight inch, 55 caliber uh, Mark nine guns in three triple mounts. Does that make sense? The, the, the triple mounts, are they the artillery? Yeah. Okay. And for anti-aircraft defense, she had eight five-inch twenty-five caliber guns and two QF three-pounder Hotchkiss guns. Mm. In 1945, she received 24 40 millimeter guns and 19 20 millimeter guns. If you don't know what any of that means, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I don't. I mean, I'm kind of a gun guy, but I don't know what all all that was. But uh, just. Just know that she has some big-ass guns. Yeah, most of those are anti-aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, she's got some big-ass guns on there, and a lot of them. So, okay, to, uh, into 1945 now. At the Battle of Okinawa on March 31st, she was hit by a Japanese suicide bomber. Ooh. Or a kamikaze. The bomber actually dropped a bomb from 25 feet Oh, wow. Yeah, and it severely damaged the ship pretty bad. And the bomber, the kamikaze, dropped the bomb and then just crashed right into the ocean. Oh, wow. So he it was legit. Though, well, he dropped good. the bomb. He hit the bomb. But he, okay. So maybe he's probably going, that would probably be more destructive than the plane itself. That's true, yeah. So, but yeah, to the the pilot just went right in the water. Kamikazes, they were nuts. Yeah. And they were legit, too. That's... They would fly their planes just straight into the ships. That's what they were trained to do. Gee. And uh, this bomb killed, to my, from what my information said, it killed eight sailors and injured several more. Mm. So she, after she received the damage, she was taken to Mare Island uh, Navy Yard in San Francisco. While there, she was worked on. Uh, and this was also good for the crew. It gave them a much-needed uh, break and relief from the fighting. Now, the captain is a man named Charles Butler McVeigh III. Huh. He's a junior and he's, junior. And he's and he's American? Yeah. Wow. Charles Butler McVeigh III. That does sound pretty British, huh? It does. Whenever you, add the, <laughs> whenever, you, <laughs> whenever you add the third, it sounds British for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was... Uh, Thurston Howe the Third in <laughs> Gilligan's Island, remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Although he had an act. Well, no, it was a pretty. What was it? That posh York, I can't remember. Yale accent kind of thing. Something like that. But he has been the commander since November 1944, and he's going to come up throughout the story. Okay. So make sure to remember him. He is an important character. And there was a movie made called the USS Indianapolis. 
Men of Courage, and Nicolas Cage plays McVeigh. Oh. As the lead character. I so, didn't see that one. I, I did see And I'm going to bring it up at the end as okay. well. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. But uh, I'm going to... I'm just trying to put over... Like, Nicolas Cage, he's a pretty big actor. So yeah. uh, putting over how impo- uh, in, uh, central... What a central character McVeigh is to this whole story. Okay. But McVeigh, earlier in the war, he received the Silver Star for displaying courage under fire... And it's believed that all of his, um, all the guys on the ship liked him and respected him. He, right on. He was, he was pretty good. So after three months of extensive repairs, Captain McVeigh was called in by his superiors and told they had been, uh, there's been a change of plans. And because the ship was one of the fastest cruisers in the on the fleet, she was chosen to take on a top secret mission. Ooh. Of the utmost significance to national security. Oh. The ship was given extremely valuable cargo, and McVeigh was ordered to go to Pearl Harbor as quick as possible. First, they go to Hunter's Point Naval Shipyard there in San Francisco to pick up this mysterious cargo. The crew was never told what the cargo was either. Oh, wow. What if, what if it was the Ark? From Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, that is equally as destructive. <laughs> and Dave, do you know what that cargo is? Well, now I think I do. Yeah. yeah. What do you think it is? The atom bomb. Yeah, very good. Well, it's uh, it's um, enriched uranium. Oh, okay. As well as other parts required for the assembly of the atomic bomb. Interesting. And they don't tell them. <laughs> no. It's harmless. Don't worry. Just tell them, like, keep it, keep it safe. Be careful with it. Gee. And this bomb was codenamed Little Boy and would later be dropped on Hiroshima as the first oh. um, first atomic bomb ever used in war. And that was that's a pretty important moment in history. Yeah. And this ship and this whole story had that mission to, to, wow. to deliver the parts. If you think about the significance in that, it's really big. Yeah. Like, what if it got sunk before they brought it there. Yeah, that's true. But uh, anyway, so she departs with this valuable cargo on July 16th to go to Pearl Harbor. And she set a speed record for the fastest travel from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor. And with it taking 74 and a half hours and had an average speed of 29 knots or 33 miles per hour. And this is a record that still stands today. Wow. That's impressive, huh? Yeah. So while in Pearl Harbor, Captain McVeigh is now given new orders to travel to the island of Tinian. Oh, where's that? um, This is an island where the, well, this is the island where the Enola Gay took off. Okay. With the atomic bombs. Uh, It's next to Guam. Okay. Guam and it's east of the Philippines. Okay. So they set off to Tinian and arrive there July 26th and drop off the cargo successfully. They are then told to go to Guam where a number of the crew had completed their tours of duty and were replaced by new sailors. New Mm. unlucky sailors. Mm. This would be the best time to finish a tour of duty right now. That's interesting that they let let them finish in Guam instead of... Taking them back. I don't know. Huh. 
Well, they got their replacements there in Guam. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a big base. Guam was kind of a base for yeah. operations for us there. But yeah, this would be the best time to get out. <laughs> hmm. McVeigh now got orders to head to the Philippines where they would have a 10-day training period for the new members. Oh. Now, from Guam to the Philippine island, of their, their orders to go to the island of Lete. Uh, where they are heading is where they're heading and on their route, this is where things go bad. Hmm. Before leaving Guam, Captain McVeigh asked for a destroyer escort. This was denied, citing there had been no significant enemy submarine activity in the area. There was also miscommunication between the ship and the rest of the Navy. So... There was a big um, human error oh. with the messaging system. I don't know exactly all that much about it, but there's a lot of errors. So this this whole thing should not have happened like the way oh, it did. But okay. so the um, the navy didn't know exactly when the ship was due for arrival. It just knew that it was going to be there at some point. Oh. So the time nobody knew when. They just know. Yeah, I think it's on its way. Oh. Interesting, huh? Yeah. There's a big blunder in this whole story Mm. with that part. So on July 30th, she was spotted by a Japanese I-58 submarine commanded by... Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what's his name? (laughs) Moshitsura Hashimoto. Hashimoto, that's easy. Yeah. Like Uh, the disease. Hashimoto? Hashimoto's disease. Never heard of it. I don't I can't remember what it's for, but I know it's a disease. You, you know it's a thing. Hashimoto's disease, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hashimoto, he was kind of itching to make a name for himself hmm. as a commander of the submarine. He hasn't seen much action, and he wants to try to make a name for himself. And he uh, now sees, um, in the distance, he sees the Indianapolis. And he sneaks. they sneak closer and fired torpedoes. So, um, on the ship, on the Indianapolis, it's just past midnight, and most crew, and even McVeigh, are in their sleeping quarters. And in total, there are um, 1,195 sailors on the ship. The first torpedo struck the starboard bow, and three seconds later, a second torpedo struck, um, struck both causing... And it was struck in the right in the middle of the ship, oh. and which also um, made explosions happen in the ship. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's lots of there's large explosions from the torpedoes, and and now the stuff in the ship from the torpedoes. That makes sense, right? Gee, yeah. She quickly began taking in water, and lots of the ship was on fire. McVeigh, knowing the ship, and well, at first he, he was he was hoping that it wouldn't go down but they um there was no communication lines they wanted to turn the engines off but the engines were still running if the engines were off they maybe could have saved it but it's not known huh but he couldn't he couldn't uh, relay the message to turn it off oh so it didn't happen and now he sent he sent somebody to go take a look the guy the sailor comes back gives him they know it's going to go down now. Oh, okay. He, they know it's going down, and he tells his men to abandon ship. 
and orders off he orders some officers to give a distress signal of their location. Nobody actually gets this message. Gee. I'll bring up that will come up again near the end. Okay. Twelve minutes after being hit by the torpedoes, she rolled completely over. Uh, then her stern rose into the air and she plunged into the Philippine Sea. Wow. That's fast. That's really fast. So that torpedoes must have got it good. Yeah. If I, I don't I remember in one of the documentaries I was listening to, they was talking about the torpedoes a little bit. And these were like high quality Japanese torpedoes. Like, oh. These were like the best torpedoes they've ever seen. Wow. I didn't I didn't get much other than that, but So they must not be wooden. I don't know. <laughs> were they normally wooden? Well the planes were wooden. The sub, some of the submar- old other submarines. Yeah, that's were, true. Well, yeah. Were they wooden? I can't remember. But yeah, they used a lot of wood. It was, they were primitive when they started. But, yeah, yeah. All right. So some three hundred men went down with the ship. Ooh, three hundred out of out of almost two thousand went right? down immediately. Okay. In that twelve minute period with the ship. Okay. The remaining survivors were spread out and set an, adrift. There were few lifeboats, and many men didn't have life jackets. So they tried to cling on to floating debris, anything they could. Many of the men were badly burnt and injured from the explosions and would, many of them would die shortly after. Mm. All right. So doesn't all this just sound terrible though? Oh yeah. Man, I, I, I can't imagine that being the case. Just think what I would be doing in there. Freaking <laughs> out. You would be freaking out. But yeah. Something touched me. That was my foot. Uh. Well, a lot of the people like, went through that see but they yeah. went they went through it they went uh, it happened to them for real though it's not all in their heads <laughs> oh. and things are not going to get any better for them anytime soon as the sun rose that morning survivors bobbed in the water and there are about 900 men that escaped with uh that escaped initially off the boat uh but they were just dying left and right from injuries mm. that they had from yeah. the explosions and stuff. Um, the the living were searching for the dead and would take the off life jackets from the dead and give them to men who are alive. Oh, okay. So just set them. There's yeah. nothing else they can do. Yeah. The men formed groups, some large, some small. Some groups had lifeboats, but... Most were just floating in their life jackets and holding on to each other. And they were expecting a quick rescue, but for uh, for most, a rescue would never come. Hmm. Soon enough, the men would uh, succumb to exposure, thirst, and shark attacks. There was one large group of around 300 to 400 men. By noon that day... 50 had already died. Wow. And it's at this time the men started seeing sharks. The sharks were drawn in by the sound of the explosions and the thrashing of men in the water. I mean, there's hundreds of men. Yeah. That's going to attract some attention. Uh, There were, and there were many species of sharks. There are many species of sharks that live in open water like this. But the main culprit is believed to be white tip or black tip. Very good. Yeah, the oceanic white tip shark. Hmm. 
And white tips are a larger shark species, and well, they're kind of mid mid size, I guess okay. you could say. And they average around eight to ten feet long, hmm. and weigh around two fifty three hundred. That's on Gee. that's on the the large side. And they are also known to be very aggressive. Ooh. Uh, their name comes from their fin having a white tip. <laughs> and it's possible that other shark species were there as well. It's likely. Uh, there, may, there may have even been like, like great whites hanging out there Ooh. too. Uh, we don't really know, but historians kind of agree that the white tip was the main culprit. Mm. And there's been other stories like of shipwrecks and white tips doing this as well. They're the shipwreck shark. Okay. The first day, the sharks focused on the dead bodies. And who knows just how many sharks there were either. I'm guessing hundreds. But the survivors' struggles only attracted more sharks. And they turned their attention to the living especially the injured and the bleeding. Mm. The men tried to quarantine themselves away from anyone with uh, an open wound. And when someone would die, they would push their body away from the group, uh, hoping to sacrifice the corpse so the sharks wouldn't attack the living. That'd be it, man. Just seeing your buddies die, you know, or just getting picked off. Many survivors were paralyzed with fear, unable to eat or drink from what little rations uh, that had been salvaged. One group of survivors made the mistake of opening a can of spam, <laughs> but before they could taste, before they could eat it, the scent of the meat drew a swarm of sharks around them. Oh wow! They got rid of their um, meat rations uh, rather than risk a second swarming. Gee. That's how fearful. I mean, that's how fearful people wow. are about sharks in general. I mean, yeah. that's a legit thing, though. Sharks are right on you. Yeah, that's that's definitely dangerous. Ugh. And this went on for days, uh, with no sign of rescue. Navy intelligence had intercepted a message from the Japanese submarine describing how it sunk an American battleship. But the message was disregarded as a trick to lure uh, United States rescue boats into an ambush. Mm. The survivors learned they had the best odds in a group, and ideally in the center of a group. The men on the margins, or worse, um, alone by themselves, were the most susceptible. Holy hell. Susceptible. Thank you. To shark attacks. Mm. But sharks aren't the only thing the survivors are dealing with. Many men were succumbed to heat and thirst. They're suffering hallucinations. They're going out of their mind. Uh, They start drinking the salt water. Drinking salt water is like a death sentence. Uh, By salt poisoning, those who drink it would slip into like this madness they couldn't mm. think straight. They're foaming at the mouth, and their tongues and lips swelled up. Oh. And they, there were, a, they were actually became. If they drank it, they became a great threat to the other survivors. Mm. Not only were they making lots of splashes to attract sharks, 
they would they were literally going crazy and would start fights with the others. Wow. And like try to push the other survivors underwater. Jeez. They're losing their minds. Uh, drinking salt water is, is like a death sentence, so don't do it. And if if someone drank salt water, the others would push them away oh, and off on their okay. own because they've now become a danger to the rest of the group. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, day after day, more men would die. After the third day, only half of the nine hundred were alive. Wow, that's a lot of people dying. That's a lot of people in the water, and the sharks are eating the dead. That's yeah. what mostly what they're going after. See, uh, many of them died from exhaustion, uh, drinking the salt water, sharks, uh, dehydration. There's lots of things that's going on. They're getting sick. Just a terrible situation. It's like a a living hell in yeah. real life. That's what's going on. Oh, and uh, Captain McVeigh is among the survivors. Mm. So after 11 a.m. on the fourth day in the water, the men saw a beautiful sight. They saw a Navy plane flying overhead. And this plane actually spotted the survivors and then radioed for help. In previous days, they did see planes, but they were too far up and the planes never saw them. Oh, okay. But this one actually saw them. Within hours, another seaplane manned by Lieutenant Adrian Marks dropped rafts and survival supplies but uh he was saying that they're not not they're not they're too weak to go after him to swim oh, after wow. him you know and he's kind of flying around and noticing this i don't know if he notices sharks or anything but he um when he saw the poor state the men were in he uh, disobeyed orders and uh and lit his seaplane in mm. the ocean which is actually really dangerous with the sea swells. Yeah. But he, he did it successfully. So he lit his plane in there and he started helping, uh, picking up some of the men who were at the greatest risk, risk and they're not doing good. And he uh, picked up like 40 something men at once and took wow. off. Hours later, Navy ships arrived to get the rest of the survivors including Captain McVeigh. He was among the last group because they got really separated in like a 25-mile range of different oh, groups. Okay. Wow. Because there was some small groups of just uh, like 10 people. Then there was that really large group with a couple hundred that's dwindled down. Mm. And so some some of them, I think McVeigh had a, um, a little survival boat, but oh, it, was, okay. it was running out of air really quickly. Mm. So there, that's how it was. Like a 25-mile range of everybody just spread out. And McVeigh was one of the last people to be picked up, Okay, him and his group. So of the 1,195 men on the ship and around the 900 initial survivors, how many do you think survived this whole ordeal? A uh, uh, hundred? A little bit more. Or I'll, I'll just tell you. 317 mm. were remained. Let's Estimates see. of men killed by shark attacks range anywhere from a few dozen to over 150. Wow. But it's impossible to know for sure. Yeah. Nobody knows. But 150, that would be so Let's many. See. And Even how many days were they in the water? Four. Four days. 
And they lost, went down from 900 to, to 317. Wow. Well, it's about 900. Gee, that's crazy. So we'll, we'll say that around 600 men died after the, wow. the ship was sank. That's crazy. Yeah. And either way, this is listed as the worst shark attack in history, as well as the worst disaster in United States naval history. Mm, wow. But we're not done yet. Let's meet up with Captain McVeigh after the rescue. And after the war was officially over, uh, we're, let's go to November 1945. I don't know if you know the story, Dave, do you? Do you know this whole story of that the well? Yeah, yeah. I've seen like a documentary back in the day. And I don't okay. know they had like a movies from like the fifties or sixties or something on it. But all right, well, um, so November nineteen forty five, Captain McVeigh was court martialed on two charges, Ooh. failing to order his men to abandon ship in the appropriate time, which was actually cleared. Okay, so that one was cleared. But he was convicted of hazarding the ship by failing to do the zigzag pattern on the route. The, oh. So there's they've been trained to do a zigzag pattern when they're on their own to kind of help avoid um, submarines. Uh-huh. But a little more on that. So, oh. so he wanted to give the blame all to him. Huh? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of basically what happened. So several aspects of the court-martial are very controversial. There was evidence that the Navy itself had placed the ship in harm's way. McVeigh's orders were to zigzag at his own discretion, weather permitting. And McVeigh was not informed that a Japanese submarine was operating in the vicinity of his route. Mm. Pretty much the Navy used McVeigh as a scapegoat to blame things on him instead of on them. Because this is the worst... Um, naval disaster in history so far wow. and it well, still is but so they don't want they want this to be somebody else's fault not Gee, their own yeah even the survivors say McVeigh was not to blame for any of this okay furthermore the captain of the Japanese submarine what was his name Hashimoto mm-hmm. yeah Hashimoto was flown to the United States and um, testified in court that doing a zigzag pattern would not have made a difference. So you're oh, getting interesting. the yeah. They flew him in to testify, and that's something they'll have your enemy testify that yeah. there was nothing he could do. He must have been close then. Yeah, he must have been real close. Yeah, because yeah, if he's if he's saying yeah, any maneuvering wouldn't have given it wouldn't even been enough time to get away no so ashimoto even said it himself that there's nothing it wasn't his fault wow but mcveigh really got screwed over he uh, eventually retired in 1949 and he had a lot of guilt placed on his shoulders he felt really guilty about everything Uh, families of the men who died blamed him too oh that's tough he received many death threats and a lot of hate mail. Now, one example of um, one letter he received said, Merry Christmas. Our family's holiday would be a lot merrier if you hadn't killed my son. Oh. It's pretty dirty, huh? Yeah. His guilt mounted, and in 1968, at the age of 70, he used his service revolver and committed suicide. Oh, gee. He was found at uh, found at his front lawn 
and he had a toy soldier in his hand, or a toy sailor in his hand. Oh. So a sad end for Captain McVeigh. He really got screwed over. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think it was his fault, and we'll find out a little bit more in a minute. So in 2000, the year 2000, the U.S. Congress passed a resolution that his record be exonerated. 2002, you say? 2000. Oh, 2000. President Bill Clinton signed this resolution. The resolution noted that although several hundred ships of the U.S. Navy were lost in combat during World War II, McVeigh was the only captain to be court-martialed for the sinking of his ship. Mm. And then in 2001, his record was officially cleared of all wrongdoing. Well, that's good. So there's light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. But still. Yeah, that's sad. Uh, something else interesting. The Indianapolis was actually just found. Oh, really? They just found it uh, at the bottom of the ocean in 2017. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole thing about it. I didn't I didn't have time to look into it, oh. but it was found by a Paul Allen. Have you ever heard of him? No. Uh, he's kind of, I don't know what he is. He's kind of, I think he's a millionaire and, and does this kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, they found... Is he the third? <laughs> <laughs> Paul Allen, that sounds too Paul American. Paul Allen the third. But at a depth of, they found the ship at a depth of 18,000 feet. Wow. That's pretty deep. Yeah. The wreck is well preserved, as too. Huh. That's what they concluded. Is it Shark City now? Or? <laughs> yeah, they, they, built, they, they built a huge city just for the sharks. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. They just found it. Yeah. So, something else also. So, yeah, something else in. Yeah, since. 1960, the survivors uh, would meet up for reunions. Hmm. The reunions are open for anyone to attend, and more people go every year, even as the number of survivors decreases. That's really neat, though. Yeah. Um, at the 2017 reunion, um, seven out of the 20 living survivors attended. Oh, wow. Some survivors never attended as they couldn't handle it. Yeah. I can imagine. I can see that. It's too, yeah. yeah, it's too hard for them. Too traumatizing. I mean, you got to assume that all these men have some PTSD. Oh, yeah. Like a thousand percent going through all this. I bet they all do. And yeah. this was PTSD didn't really exist back then yeah. in World War II. Gee. Where did, the, where did these meetings take place? I didn't get that. Oh, okay. I think it, I think no, I really do think it's in Indiana. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's in Indiana. There's a um, memorial there too. And oh, okay. All right, so there are a few things about the story and pop culture I want to go over. Okay. There have been several films and documentaries done. Uh, I got a lot some of my info from documentaries, but the most recent film was the USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, the one starring Nicolas Cage as Captain McVeigh. And I did see it a few years ago and it was okay. Huh. There but the film only has a 17% rating on oh. Rotten Tomatoes. So that is not a very good score. That's really bad. <laughs> but it's a Nicolas Cage film. For some reason, oh. <laughs> you're like that's what's so funny about his movies. You watch him and you're like, "Ah, oh, this movie's stupid." Uh, I'll watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like all, um, all of Nicolas Cage movies the last 10 years, uh, none of them, he hasn't had anything big in the yeah. last long time. And he's doing like, he does so many movies too. 
And like even like small directed DVD ones, he's starting to do. And, and even so, they're still entertaining. It's just like you're they're, like, ah, that's you know, you, you, you can tell I, it's I, a total B movie. I don't mind them. I know. I like watching them. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Uh, one more thing here. So, Dave, you know Jaws well. Uh huh. Did you know that the character Quint was an Indianapolis survivor? Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. The he, char- yeah, he has a story about it. The yeah, character. The, the character. Was, the character. I was thinking the actor for a second there. Sorry. In Jaws, he goes off on a monologue. Remember when yeah. he talks about mm-hmm. it while they're on the ship about yeah. his experience with the sharks? I was like, I didn't. I haven't seen Jaws in years. It's really so I didn't. Good. I didn't know that part. It does have some good dialogue. But as a kid, yeah, I didn't know anything. <laughs> dialogue, whatever, yeah. whatever. Ah, shark attack! <laughs> and at one point, there was an idea to make a prequel shark movie on his on his story. Oh, really? This story. But huh. it was uh, eventually rejected in favor of Jaws two. Oh, was Jaws two any good? Um, the, yeah. The, I think Jaws three was re- was better than two, if I remember right. And then I saw four in the theaters. I was young enough to saw four in the theaters, and well, now yeah. that one wasn't very good, was it? It was. It was. That one had Dennis Quaid was. in it. One of them did. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. No, it was still the original guy. I think. I, I could know. be wrong. Though. It was Dennis Quaid because he was like, trapped in a. They were like a sea attraction, like Disney or not Disney, like a Sea World. I. I. It was been years since I've seen him as well. I, I just remember the ending, and the girl. Kills him in the ending. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's been too long. But maybe that maybe that would have been a good movie to have the prequel on the Indian Indianapolis. Yeah. Like maybe that would have been pretty cool. I don't know. Yeah. But Dave, that is going to wrap up the episode. Did hmm. you like the story? I do. Well, yeah. I yeah. think it's a pretty cool story, and I hope everyone else enjoyed it too. I know, I know this episode was a little light on shark attacks, but it's a really good story, and I thought it would be worth sharing. Yeah. So, Dave, next week, we are having our one-year anniversary episode. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! My idea is to recap some things. Uh, we'll kind of, I think we might tell some, uh, retell some of our favorite stories and share some of our listener stories. That's going to, we're yeah, definitely going to do that. Uh, we just got a new one oh, okay. today from uh, a guy in Florida. He oh. sent me an email. Interesting. So that's pretty cool. We'll t- share some stories. I've got I've got a couple now. A couple good okay. stories from listeners. Uh, oh, and I almost forgot. Oh, I almost forgot this guy. So I wanted to mention this really cool video game I saw. It's called Man Eater, where you play a shark. And you, it's like a, a Grand Theft Auto game, but you play as a shark and you just go around killing people. Is it on the phones or is it? No, it's like PlayStation. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I, was, I was like, is it? but then I watched a little bit of the gameplay today on YouTube. Uh-huh. I was like, this is not on a phone. This is like, it's like oh, Grand Theft Auto, okay. but a, you play like, you play as a small <laughs> shark and you, I think you play a bull shark. Oh, Because really? you're in the swamps and you're in the, it's like a city. So you're in the river. But you play as a bull shark, and this oh, it's totally not believable. Like uh, they had the shark jumping really high in the air and then grabbing people off boats while they're <laughs> shooting at it. Oh so you're God, taking hit nice. points with them shooting at it, but then you, you <laughs> just go and jump and you attack them. It was pretty cool nice. looking, actually. Do you meet a shark with lipstick going, "Hey, baby"? <laughs> <laughs> not like Grand Theft. Yeah, that's like Grand Theft Auto. Huh? 
But it looks really cool, and I, yeah, you play as a bull shark, and like you start from a young a young shark, and then you the more you eat, the bigger you get, okay. and the higher points you get, and whatever. Crazy. But it's really like he's jumping on the beach, like grabbing people, <laughs> nice. and then bringing them back down. It was really far. I mean, completely far. It was like jumping and bouncing off bridges. <laughs> but man, it, it looked it looked pretty cool the visuals are really cool I, I, I think that might be a game we need to play dave oh maybe after you finish thought, red dead and... i'm sure i'd be okay to, if, if i'm the shark yeah if you're the shark so yeah uh all right so uh at the end of yeah so next week is gonna be your anniversary episode it'll be episode 50 uh be sure to check out our friends over at when animals attack podcast they should have an episode cut there. They did have an episode and it was pretty good. It was on um, black bears. It was a oh, good okay. episode. And I liked it. We're going to be doing bears again sometime soon. Okay. Um, and Dave and I made a little, what would you call it? Like a sound clip. What did we send them? Oh, commercial, like a commercial. Yeah. We, we made like a, a 20 second advertisement and we're going to play it at the end of the episode. If you, so if you want to hear it, Oh, okay. This is I'll, we're gonna put it at the end of the episode in case any of our, our listeners want to hear it because I thought it was pretty funny. So Dave, if our listeners want to help out and contribute to the show, what can they do? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars, say something you like. Really helps us out, you know. Gives us more listeners. That way we can double from ten thousand to twenty thousand by next year. <laughs> Very good, Dave. I'm just I'm gonna let it be. I'm not even gonna <laughs> okay. um, correct you on that. You beat that cheetor. <laughs> uh, I've learned, yeah. But ratings and reviews they really mean a lot. So uh, please take the twenty thirty seconds. It, it helps. And we we really want to be a popular show. And I work hard of making this. So a review helps out. That's the least you could do. Uh, you can either do, do it on iTunes, wherever, any platform, or our Facebook page, or Instagram, anywhere you can. And we also give shout-outs to anyone who does this. And now if you want to be an even more amazing person, become a producer of the show, you can go to PayPal or Venmo and leave a donation. That would mean a whole lot to us. It doesn't matter if it's $1 or $100. <laughs> uh, anything helps. And, and, man, we will love you for helping us. And I, I, I say this at the end of every week now, but we're, we want to get some merch going and uh, maybe some T-shirts. So you know, that will... Donations will help us fund that. Is yeah. what I'm getting to. So, uh, go to you can go to PayPal. You can find us on our email forceofnaturepod at gmail.com or on Venmo, my personal account Matthew Hamilton fifty one, and all that info is on the description below. And to all the listeners, feel free to contact us if you ever want to. Tell us, uh, well, if you now's the time to do it because. Uh, we're going to be sharing our listeners' stories next week. So if you have a story and you want us to share it, send it in before Wednesday next week. Yeah. And then we can get it on there. Uh, tell us a cool animal-related story of you, or it doesn't even have to be of you. It could be someone you know. Or if you want to just to suggest an episode idea, or if you just want to ask us a question or say hi, please feel free. You can email us or message us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, also, help us grow by recommending us to f uh, to family and friends. Tell them we are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all the podcast platforms we need to be on. Dave, do you have anything to add? No, I'm good. All right. So, Colonel Cheetor, how about you? Damn, I'm actually impressed you guys made it a whole year. 
Yeah, yeah. You're right. It has been a year. Yeah. Hey, you've been with us for a year too. No, he's actually only been with us like half the year. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, about half, half the, year. the year. We got we got him oh, in Christmas. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to do it's an his it's, special it's, for him. Yeah, it's, well, it's his six month anniversary. That's let's say that. <laughs> Uh, this is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends, be a part of building us up, and we will see you next week. Bye. Hello, everyone. I am Matthew D. Hamilton. And I'm David Botcher. And we are Force of Nature Podcast. On our show, we bring you funny, scary, crazy, interesting, and unbelievable stories all about animals. But we specialize in animals. You will learn, you will laugh, you may even cry. So be sure to check us out wherever you get your podcasts.